The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Spend my dollar. It's not about what you want. It's about what you're willing to do to get it run it again hello and welcome i'm not going to so quit asking when you give me a hard time for the listeners that didn't get to go this is the payback Alabama wins. what you did last year really doesn't matter our goal is to have the kind of team that nobody wants to play hi hello and welcome to a not today chicken little edition of the alabama football podcast hey you know maybe it's raindrops apples or bird shit But it certainly is not the Alabama sky that's fallen on your head. Considering the outsized expectations present in some quarters, hands raised Saturday's game with the State Trooper State University was no fun ride. But as a function of starting your redshirt freshman backup quarterback with no prior starting experience in what some call the toughest conference in college football, a place where it just means more, Saturday offered a play-for-keeps version of Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, Charles Darwin edition. That which doesn't kill you can only make you stronger. Or so goes the theory. Against that backdrop, offense, I turn it over to you. So Alabama offense Saturday was either was was neither explicitly good or bad. There were some of each. In fact, I would call it a highly nuanced performance by the Alabama offense. 24 first downs, but 5 of 14 on third down conversions. 399 total yards. Not a bad not a bad performance. Uh, 288 rushing yards. That's very nice, but only 111 yards passing. That's pretty poor. Four turnovers. Yikes. Opportunities and missed opportunities really characterize Alabama's offensive performance on Saturday. The quarterback with with Bryce Young being out, Jalen Milrow started in his place. And so he's the redshirt freshman that we talk about in the intro. And I think Jalen had some success, uh, but he also demonstrated why four of the five SEC teams that started backup quarterbacks on Saturday, that's why they lost. And so we saw a little bit of both uh, from Jalen. He had three passing touchdowns, uh, which itself is a nice performance. Each of those individual passes uh, were really, really nice, and two were really sort of thread-the-needle uh, passes. But Jalen also had three turnovers. Two were fumbles, and one was an interception. I'll give him the interception uh, in that it sort of served as a long punt. I think it was a 46 yards down the field. Uh, the turnovers are the fumbles. you really got to secure the ball, especially with a running uh, mobile quarterback. Jalen did contribute with his legs. He had 83 net rushing yards, and so that takes away – uh, from from the sacks, and so he would have been a good bit over 100 uh, rushing yards on the day. And you could tell that Jalen was was coached to step out of bounds. Don't lower your shoulder. Don't go for that extra yards. Get what you can get and then safely get out of bounds. There were multiple opportunities where he could have gotten more yards. I won't go so far as to say that he could have broken runs for touchdowns, although I wouldn't discount his athleticism. 
in that way. Now, a lot of Alabama fans that that I've sort of tracked and, and watched and, and sort of articles and, and comment uh, forums, they were really down on Jalen Milrow. And I don't think that's fair. His, it was his first uh, starting performance, and um, his numbers, I, I thought, stood up pretty close or I think stand up pretty close to Jalen Hurts in his first start. And you could reason that, reason that Jalen Hurts was not uh, primed or that maybe he wasn't uh, set up to be a quarterback, and we've spent seasons going back and forth on that. Uh, but Jalen's also one of the top quarterbacks in the NFL early in this season, which call it a surprise, but uh, you can't discount it. What I want to talk about, the conversation I want to have about Jalen Milrow isn't really about Jalen Milrow. It's more of a philosophical discussion that Jalen's performance on Saturday sort of brings to bear or sort of brings to the table. I wonder if Jalen Milrow isn't a function of the Tide's success. Gone are the days of Jalen Hurts or Blake Sims being given time to fully mature into uh, maximizing their athletic potential. Instead, we get sort of ready-made quarterbacks, uh, Tua, Mac Jones, Bryce Young, NFL, ready-made, passing, uh, pass-first uh, quarterbacks. Uh, it's a passing-based offense that that we run more at Alabama. And we've had multiple first-round wide receivers, and so it's a function that is sort of self-perpetuating. Get the NFL-style throwing quarterbacks in. Uh, that's going to bring the better receivers. That's the style, the direction the game is going. And so I wonder if the ship hasn't sailed on those running style quarterbacks. I don't think Alabama on Saturday had the game plan, the playbook, or the play caller in place to maximize Jalen Milrow's skill set, his talent. And by golly, does he have it. Uh, but I don't think Alabama is primed and poised to maximize his performance. Coach Saban talks about having an offense that's multiple, but he does not talk about having an offense that's bipolar. We can divvy up the run and the pass, and we can be creative in both regards, but we don't necessarily have an offense that is at once wishbone and pro style. And Jalen Milrow is certainly, Jalen Milrow is certainly uh, has the talent to succeed in one of those models, but not both. I do think that Saturday's performance, and again, I'm talking larger than the young man. I'm talking philosophically uh, around his performance. I wonder if there wasn't a little bit of referendum that this game brought to bear. Referendum on offensive coordinator hires, which I think Alabama will be making one at the end of the season, as well on quarterback recruiting. Is Jalen Milrow the quarterback, the type of player that we might recruit in the future? Or would we more explicitly recruit a Jalen Milrow, the athlete, with the intention of moving him to another position? I think the answer to that is yes, um, that we that we would look to bring in the athlete versus the quarterback. Uh, that's not me mad at Milrow. That's just understanding the design that Saban has taken the program, and Milrow maybe is, is, is a little deviant to that, not his fault, uh, like I said, supremely athletic, supremely talented. But do we have organizationally the patience as well as the expertise to bring along and nurture and convert a Jalen Milrow into a Jalen Hurts or into a Blake Sims? I don't think that's the future direction of 
of the program. And I think recruiting uh, down the road, we may uh, we may notice that. One more thing I want to call out about Jalen again, not mad at the young man. I thought he played a very spirited game. He won his first SEC conference game start. He won his first start. And so my hat's off to the young man. I think he can absolutely develop and uh, could potentially, in the right circumstances somewhere, have a phenomenal uh, career. And so I give him hats off uh, to that. Also want to give a shout out to uh, Anthony Lucas, the defender for Texas A&M, for one of the dirtiest hits that, uh, that I've ever seen. It was dirty on the level of two girls in a cup, uh, his tackle going after, uh, going after Milrow's knee and leg. And uh, I thought that was... Uh, I thought that was poor play. Uh, he was flagged, but uh, I thought that was pretty egregious in his play there. All right, let's move, uh, sticking with the quarterback uh, situation for just another second. Uh, Ty Simpson did not see action, again, nor did Bryce Young. Uh, and Ty Smith did not see action as well. Uh, that's a little bit of a, a ribbon myself there. Uh, last week in my excitement, uh, my mouth word sort of got twisted and I called Ty Simpson by the name of Ty Smith. Uh, clear, <laughs> clearly, um, clearly not what we're going after there. All right, let's hit a couple uh, a couple other positions. Uh, Jameer Gibbs was 21, uh, uh, 21, for, 21 carries for 154 yards. Uh, his second week in a row just having an outstanding performance. Uh, the average is about uh, seven plus. And uh, he had a, a long of 34. Jameer Gibbs continues to be a weapon in this Alabama offense. And as the line solidifies, and we'll talk about them uh, in just a moment, as the line continues to uh, solidify, Jameer just continues to emerge. And uh, I look for him to have just a string of really good days uh, through the stretch of the uh, SEC schedule. Uh, Roy Dale Williams was the third running back in the game, but I thought he was the second best performer on the day. Uh, he only had three carries, but he racked up 19 yards uh, for just over six per. Uh, Jace received uh, 10 carries, uh, so he was a workhorse uh, in that regard. But he only netted out 32 yards, so uh, 3.2. And uh, and he got a fumble, or he had a fumble. And it was one of those plays where he was fighting for that extra yard. And I don't know if I'm the only one. Sometimes I'll watch the game and I'll just say, just go down, just go down. We've gotten what we can get out of this play. Just go down. And I was sort of saying that or, or thinking that right about the time Jace got hit and uh, lost the fumble. And I know sometimes, you know, a runner uh, with the strength of Jace, you can just pull, you know, it's a sort of an ankle tackle and you can sort of pull your way out of that and, and break free. But gosh, I'd, I'd rather, you know, I'd rather be right on just going down and protecting the ball. I would enjoy that better uh, than just being wrong and, uh, and, and, you know, you potentially breaking through. Uh, the lost ball there is very, very costly. Rule number one is uh, is to possess it. Uh, talking about wide receivers, we did have a Jermaine, uh, Jermaine Burton sighting. He had three catches for 48 and a touchdown. You know, we talked last week about sort of the collection of wide receivers that Alabama has. And every week it's someone else that's sort of stepping up. And so it was good to see Burton have a couple of big plays. Uh, it was sort of his turn. I still think he's one of probably the top three receivers uh, on the squad. And so it was good to see him have some production. Uh, Ja'Cory Brooks had a touchdown. Uh, again, a receiver that we think is is also in that top three and subject to just breaking out uh, really at any minute. Uh, and then Cam, uh, Cam Latou, Tight end had a touchdown. 
he's a player we're really, uh, really high on as well. So it was good to see him get what I think is his first touchdown of the season. Uh, he's sort of been, he's had a, a skittish, uh, sort of a schizophrenic uh, season uh, this year, Cam has. He's missed some time in camp, uh, missed the first game or two uh, of the season. And then when he's come back, he just hasn't, I would say he hasn't been himself. He's missed some blocks, and uh, he's seen more and more time on the field. He's been open. The quarterbacks haven't been able to find him. Uh, it's sort of a collection of things, but glad to see him get a touchdown. It was a really fine uh, catch in the end zone, and look forward to his game continuing to sort of blossom as the season moves forward. I thought the offensive line played well, uh, especially sort of plus-plus. When you consider that Texas A&M knew – that Alabama was running the ball, whether it was the running back or the quarterback. Uh, it was very clear. It was very evident that uh, with Milrow in, that Alabama was going to was going to feature a running attack. And so to bust open the holes that the Alabama offense uh, offensive line did uh, was really just sort of an extra testament to their readiness, uh, their preparation. It was the second week in a row uh, this season that Tide fans saw Seth McLaughlin starting at center in place of Darian Dalcourt. Looks like a, a continued injury situation there with Dalcourt. And uh, I just think Seth really brings a settling element to the offensive line. And uh, he's one of the players that we predicted should have started uh, the season. And so it'll be interesting, uh, as we say, to see how that plays out. Uh, Tyler Booker, call him the third guard. Uh, he continues to rotate. And we see the same sort of pattern. Uh, first two possessions, he is not in the game. Uh, the next two possessions, he's in at one of the guard spots. Typically, he starts at left. The next two possessions, he starts at uh, he moves over to right, and then he has two possessions sitting out, and it sort of rotates through. By the time you get the two, four, six into the eighth sort of progression, uh, you get sort of further into the game. Uh, Saturday, we didn't see the backups come in, but uh, Tyler continued to sort of rotate uh, through that mix, and so. That was interesting to see. You know, here we are, Alabama, the fifth or sixth, what is it, week six uh, of the season, and it almost feels a, a little off-putting, a little bit excuse-making to say that the offensive line continues to, to develop. But it's true. This is a unit that continues to sort of find itself. Uh, Alabama has played three different left guards, two different centers, and two different right guards uh, on the season. So in, in line is, is sort of a cohesive unit. It's five individuals moving, operating is one. And so the timing uh, and sort of the rhythm with, within the players, uh, I think, is continuing to develop. And this offensive line uh, is continuing to progress, continue to play, play well together, and uh, I, I think will continue to as the season goes on. I look at this as um, – not trying to have sort of crimson glasses here, but I very much look at this as a lot of the pieces, the Alabama pieces, starting to come together, starting to converge. We've got, you know, Bryce Young, who is really sort of, uh, I mean, he's a Heisman winning quarterback, and, and we saw what his absence uh, can do to the offense. And so let's get Bryce Young back. I think the wide receivers are really starting just on the cusp of emerging. I think we would have had some uh, uh, some really significant performances from the wide receiver position uh, had Bryce been in the game this week uh, against the AM Aggie defense. And so they were stalled uh, a little bit. I think the offensive line is progressing. 
and we are we are seeing material progression uh, at the running back position as well. So I think as these things start to converge, as they start to come together, uh, I do believe this offense has the chance to be uh, quite explosive. And so this will be fun to watch uh, this next week and these next couple of weeks. Uh, will be interesting to see how that plays out. Mini game ball on offense. I'm really probably reaching deep here. There's a there's you know a, a mighty number of names uh, that we could call out. Our Roydell Williams would be a, a fine candidate with his uh, three carries. Didn't contribute a lot, but when he did, it was nice. Uh, but I'm going to go a little bit deeper than that. Uh, I'm going to go Amari Nyblack, uh, freshman tight end. Uh, was not even targeted at the tight end position. And uh, throughout sort of fall camp and, and even the recruiting season, all the talk on uh, Amari Nyblack was that he was going to be a receiving tight end. And he likely still will be. And he had a catch for a touchdown earlier uh, in the season. But he was in a number of times uh, that I saw and uh, in where he was blocking. Now, he may have run a route uh, here or there, but I saw him uh, in the game blocking. Uh, and I think Alabama played three tight ends on the day. And so uh, I've just given a, a just a just a real small mini game ball, sort of a cap to uh, nod to uh, Amari Nablock for getting into the game. But uh, it was pleasing to see uh, him have that opportunity. And he's a player that I think will continue to grow, uh, evolve, and emerge for this Alabama offense. All right, let's flip the field to do uh, to defense like we do. Uh, I thought as a whole the defense played really well. Uh, they were really backed up against the wall uh, on a couple of occasions. Uh, but I think as a whole, the defense uh, acquitted themselves quite well. Alabama allowed only five of 17 on third down conversions, only one of two on fourth down conversions. Uh, the defense allowed 323 yards total. That starts to be a lower-ish number in this era of college football. Uh, 253 yards uh, passing were allowed. That starts to be on the pedestrian side of things. Uh, and, in fact, if you go back and look at some of the catches, uh, a, a mighty uh, significant majority of those uh, yards were were achieved on just heroic catches by the wide receivers, the types of catches that you just don't see. Uh, we saw three or four of them by the Aggies on uh, Saturday. Uh, and Alabama defense only allowed 70 yards rushing, uh, 62 to Devon A-Chain, uh, which I believe is probably one of the best running backs in the SEC. He is hyper-talented and to uh, hold the Aggie rushing game to below uh, a very impressive uh, average. Uh, the Alabama average is impressive, and to hold AM to even below that number uh, with a talent like A-Chain, uh, I thought was very, very impressive. Let's dive into, uh, just real quickly, let's dive into the 20 points that Alabama allowed. That's certainly more than we like to allow. That's more than uh, the scoring average. But let's sort of face to, uh, to these points. AM's first touchdown came off of a fumble and a short field. So Aggies only had to achieve 30 yards to score that touchdown. Uh, the second touchdown, the Aggies, in effect, was their longest drive of the day of 49 yards, and that two came on a fumble. The two field goals, the first field goal came off of an Alabama fumble. You see a trend here, right? Uh, first, three core, uh, th first three Aggie scores came on Alabama fun fumbles, and this was a field goal attempt which stalled out after 15 yards. So they made the field goal. They could only move the ball 15 more yards. Uh, it just so happened that they were in field goal position, and, uh, and so they racked up those three points. And then their last field goal 
they achieved 35 yards, and this came off of Alabama's missed field goal, or one of Alabama's missed field goals. And so if you make the field goal, then you kick off, you put the the opponent in a position to have to drive the field. When you miss a field goal, they get it there. They get it from that, that position. And so that's a better position on the field than they would have achieved uh, on a uh, on just a traditional kickoff had Alabama made the kick. So uh, three fumbles and a missed field goal all contributed to or led to the possessions on which Texas A&M scored. Uh, what's interesting, we talked about uh, A&M's longest drive being 49 yards. Alabama had three touchdown uh, drives, 172 yards, uh, 175 yards, another 75 yards, and had an eight play. One of the fumbles came at the end of an eight play, 47 yard drive, and the miss, uh, miss field goal came at the end of a 10 play, 44 yard drive. There were a couple other 40 plus yard uh, drives that Alabama had. So, in the vicinity of the 49 yard drive that Texas A&M had, uh, Alabama had maybe six or seven possessions that, in terms of yardage, were of of similar distance. And so, uh, that's that is that's not for nothing. Uh, that means the offense maybe did a little bit better from a comparative standpoint, and certainly the defense uh, did work. Had Aggies not been graced with short fields, uh, venture they would not have scored 20 points, even if Alabama did not convert those extended possessions into points. So again, we can't take those points away. We can understand how they got on the scoreboard, and maybe we can start to feel better about uh, it being uh, a close game uh, in the end. Let's talk about some of the individual performances, especially when you win. It's a whole lot easier to uh, sort of have that mindset when you win. Uh, Will Anderson, I swear he needs to he needs to impose a stat tax on some of the other players. If uh, you look at his stat line, he only had two tackles. He only had one tackle for loss. He had eight hurries, which is impressive. But he didn't have, he didn't rack up any uh, sacks. He didn't have a big number of of tackles. Meanwhile, there's quite a number of players that did. Uh, I think the most curious stat, unofficial stat, but truly a stat, that Will Anderson had no holds called, not against him, but called against those that were blocking him. So, hmm, that's uh, that's curious, I would say. Uh, Dallas Turner had two sacks. There you go. I like Dallas Turner as a player in his own right, but there's a Will Anderson tax right there. And Chris Braswell had one sack. I will say this. Will Anderson had quite a number of missed sacks or near sacks. And if the A&M quarterback were, were saying, you know, did anyone catch the number on that truck that just ran me over, it would be number 31. Uh, there were a number of times that the, the ball just got away, and uh, Will Anderson was there on the scene to sort of get that last legal uh, hit in. Hey, it's a physical game. That, that last sort of hit is legal, and uh, Will Anderson had quite a number of those. Uh, talked about Dallas Turner and his two sacks. Chris Braswell had uh, a sack himself. Brian Branch really had a fine day. He contributed to nine um, nine tackles, and he had two pass deflections. Uh, Terry and Arnold, uh, he's had he, – I for my money, Terry and Arnold had a really good day, although there were some opportunities to clean up his game. He was in on eight tackles. He had one pass deflection. He did have a pass interference that oof, we wish he didn't have, 
and uh, he had an interception uh, on the day. He had a near interception. Uh, the balls just sort of went through his hands as, as he was sort of closing the door there, closing the gate, and uh, the ball just got through to the wide receiver. Again, it was another one of those heroic uh, grabs that we talked about. Uh, and the Tyrion, Tyrion Arnold was in on the play that was sort of the game winner uh, at the end, sort of the incomplete pass. There was an article about, and, and you know, fact or fiction, I don't know, but uh, Tyrion talked about reading Jimbo uh, Fisher's lips. Uh, Evan Stewart was the receiver, uh, freshman receiver for Texas A&M. He had a great day uh, himself, and that last pass was going to Evan. And so Tyrion had a strong sense that, you know, the guy's already having a big day, so why would you not go back to him? And then you see the the head coach sort of enunciate his name, uh, sort of lip reading there, and uh, that maybe gives you an extra sort of clue that uh, it's coming that way. It was uh, it was good. I would call it I'd call it borderline physical, uh, but it was a good play by Tarion to good coverage, and then the ball was just was just overthrown. Uh, it was not a good. It was you could argue not a good play call. Certainly not a, uh, a good pass. It, it reminded me, and Jimbo Fisher's kind of getting blown up for that play call. I don't know. I think that's sort of the trendy thing to do. Uh, I think if the receiver had run deeper into the end zone and then come back, then he would have been in the end zone potentially if he caught the ball. Uh, even if the receiver, uh, Evan Stewart, had caught the ball, he would not have been in the end zone and uh, would have been pushed out of bounds, game over. So I don't think uh, I, I don't think the route was run as, as tightly as it could have been. I don't think the quarter the throw was was as tight as it could have been. And what it reminds me of, again, it's reminiscent of. It's not exactly the same. It's reminiscent of. It's the opposite side of uh, of the field. This was over to the, the the offense's right, and so I'm talking about a play that would have been to the offense's left. Uh, but Mechie's play in overtime last year at Auburn. Uh, he had sort of an inside, sort of a end zone, sort of juke move, and it was a a move in space and tight space uh, that created some uh, that created uh, an open window for that pass. And in this play, at least sort of the intention of it uh, struck me very, very similar. And uh, gosh, that would be <laughs> I would say a very call it a very Fisher thing to do uh, to beat Alabama on a play that uh, is very reminiscent or very similar to how Alabama beat Auburn last year. So I thought that was, uh, I thought that was uh, interesting. Helms continues to just put up good days uh, every week. He's, he's the poster child. We've talked about this before. He's the poster child of why you come back. He could have been fourth or fifth rounder uh, last year, potentially. I think he's going to be a second or third rounder. And so he's definitely moved up. Uh, late first, I wouldn't rule that out because he's really sort of gotten rid of the sloppy element uh, in his play. Uh, he was always sort of good for one. We've said the last couple of years, and uh, and we only say that in reference to having said that. We've not had to say that this season. And uh, to the extent that now, if he has a little bit of a gaffe, it would be the exception to the rule as opposed to uh, the rule that's been in place uh, the last couple of seasons. And so I think that's representative certainly of his improvement and uh, his contribution. So second rounder or late first into the third, I don't know. I'm not a draft Nick necessarily, but we'll see how that plays out. But watch for his name because he will be drafted. And the storyline very clearly will be that he'll be drafted. And, and Saban may specifically call him out because I think just this will be billboard material uh, that having come back, Hel Helms 
will have elevated his draft position. So just write that down. Put that in your memory banks. You heard it here first. Uh, but Helms, as we said, was in on seven tackles, one pass deflection, uh, and he had a huge open field uh, tackle on A-chain. Uh, it looked like it was maybe just a swing back pass or uh, end around. I can't remember the specifics, but uh, I remember Helms was just right in position, truly broke him down. A-chain, a superior athlete in terms of just elusiveness and the fact that that Helms was right on point making that tackle. That's a highlight-type play, especially in the context of – down in distance, and who the opponent is uh, in that moment. Uh, the defensive line, we continue to, to call out names across the defensive front that are playing very, very well. Byron Young, uh, Tim Smith, and Jaheim Otis each sort of stood out to me and made an impression on me during the game with a big play here or there. I also want to give a little bit of a shout-out to uh, Justin Aboibe. Uh, a week or so ago, just as – we were expecting, gave him a mini game ball and expecting, and the fact that we were expecting Byron Young to maybe miss some time. And we said, we love Byron Young. We think he's going to be a breakout player. Uh, but if he has to miss time, we really like the way Justin Oboibe is playing. Uh, we went on and on and said, this guy's going to be an eight-year NFL player. And then that week, um, uh, it was a neck injury. And so he's been out for a couple of weeks now, two weeks now. And just as is I thought he was going to really just sort of blow out, blow up uh, for the Alabama defense. Uh, he's out, and that's unfortunate because I do think there's a little bit of a little bit of quickness there at the at the, at the side that sort of I don't know. We run the two linebackers that look like defensive ends, but then we run truly across the front three down linemen, uh, and we call them a nose and two ends. So you know, sort of figure it out. But um, uh, but a boy be sort of, sort of the big end, uh, if you will, uh, missing time right when I thought he was going to explode for Alabama. So hopefully he's going to get uh, back back to health. That's the priority. Uh, back to health, uh, back into shape, and then uh, join the team sort of through the home stretch. I think that would be a big win uh, for everyone, uh, Justin, uh, including Alabama the Tide as well. Uh, linebacker backer position, uh, we've got to give a shout-out to Deontay Lawson. Uh, he, he was in on five tackles, and uh, he recorded his first start uh, as he was stepping in for Jalen Moody, who was out with a kidney bruise. And that just sounds painful, uh, but I think uh, it was something – I don't know if it was sustained in practice. I don't know if it's football-related. I presume uh, that it was. Could potentially have been something else. Uh, but Deontay Lawson, who's been platooning – and we've talked about this, right? You'd rather have three players for two positions, let them all play – and then if someone has to go out or has to has to miss some time, then you've got two guys that are equipped, experienced, and ready to play the position. And so we're not rooting for Moody to be injured. We're not rooting for him to be out. But at the same time, we can say, gosh, isn't this something we're glad that we prepped for and uh, sort of called it uh, in, in some respects. And so having more players than can play but that are capable of playing really gives you a lot of versatility, again, if someone goes out. Uh, also, just in the context of keeping fresh players on the field, it helps in that regard, too. So that's phenomenal. We're going to give a mini game ball, and so we give a real small mini game ball, if you will, on offense. We're going to give a little bit bigger one today uh, on the defense. Henry Toa Toa, uh, his stat line was with nothing, was you know maybe nothing to speak of, but Gush, could you find plays that he was not in on or not contributing or – you know, maybe not the second or third guy just instantaneously there on the tackle. So they can get credited for anything. But, you know, in an open field, he, he, you know, would have been lights out the hero maker. There were a couple of times where he 
was blitzing or they were running a stunt and his job was sort of the screen the blocker so someone could come around uh, in behind him and uh, just a phenomenal day by Henry Toa Toa he looks very comfortable in uh, in in the position and um, just a just a, a player that we certainly enjoy he's a, he's a, I would call him a joy to watch I don't know that I would have said that last year especially earlier in the season but second half of last season all of the season so far Henry Toa Toa I think is has truly been something special to watch. And so we give him a mini game ball, borderline sort of full-size game ball, however you want to do that. But uh, there you go. Let's talk about special teams. And uh, look, for my money, this is where the game swung uh, on special teams. And, and you know, not exactly for the reason that, uh, that you think. Uh, so let's start. And we're going to talk about Will Reichert because everyone's going to talk about Will Reichert and special teams. Uh, so Will was one for three on field goals. He made a 50-yarder, very, very impressive. Then he missed a 47-yarder and missed a 33-yarder and so or 35-yarder. And so I get it. You could say that the game sort of pivoted on uh, Reichert's field goals. And you wouldn't be wrong there. That's just not the point as we get into special teams. That's just not the point that I'm going to make. Uh you know, it's a four-point game, and so three makes it seven. So AM would have been playing for the tie instead of the win at the end. And then, you know, six makes it ten, and the last possession is sort of moot uh, at that point. So I get it. The 47-yarder that Will missed came after. Here's where I'm not going to get mad at the quarterback uh, as much as I am on the play calling. And this may have been single-handedly, I think, the worst play call of the day. In a situation where you'll gladly take the three, you'll kick the three on third downs if there's a risk of not getting to three. And so on third and two, Milrow was sacked for a 12-yard loss, which in the context of a 47-yard field goal, that gets that down to a 35-yard field goal. Uh, On third and two, when you have an athletically mobile quarterback, just run a sprint draw or just run an end around with a quarterback or just run a bootleg or run a toss sweep or run a pitch or something and and put try to get one on one on the edge and if you get two yards great and if you don't you know what we're going to line up and we're going to kick a 35 a 34 a 36 yard field goal and uh, typically Reichert is money on those uh so i think I, I mean he can make a 47 yarder he made a 50 and should he have made the 47 absolutely but you shouldn't give up 12 yards in that moment so to have uh, a five or, or, you know, a five-step drop on a third and two, I think, is just a terrible play call. You try to get the two, but you keep the, but you keep the three. You try to get the two yards, but you keep the three points in the bank. You make a harder kick. Sometimes you miss a harder kick. So we missed a harder kick. Next possession, maybe, maybe the kicker's in his head and he misses a thirty-five yarder. Now he should have made the thirty-five yarder. But, you know, maybe he missed the second one because he missed the, the, the first one. Uh, he, he hooked one and, and pulled the other. And so, you know, hit one and spliced the other. I'm not a golfer, what, whatever the terminology is. He missed on both sides closely. And so you think if you got it dialed in and you make the, the first one, you make the second one. That's sort of my thinking. Maybe I'm attributing too much. Maybe I'm just really pissed off at that play call on third and two. And that could be all right as well. James Burnup. Uh, four punts on the day, 167, four punts on the day. Uh, so Alabama was definitely moving the ball. Of course, you count the turnovers. You can't punt a ball when you give it away. But uh, four, uh, you'd rather punt it in those situations, I reckon. 
Uh, four punts, 167 total. That's an average of almost 42 yards, and he had a long of 48. He had put two, uh, deposited two inside the 20. Uh, punt returns, here we go. For me, uh, it's sort of a silent uh, topic. Uh, I've not seen maybe one sort of blurb on this, and I don't even think they spoke to it in the way that that I will or I think that it, it should be spoken to. Uh, punt returns. Texas A&M, and I'm giving hats off to uh, Nick uh, Costantino, seven punts uh, the Aggies had, only one return. Uh, McKinstry was only allowed one return, and it was for a negative two yards. So so Nick was pun- punting with a little bit of distance, but a lot of height. And so he was really booting the ball up in the air, had a lot of hang time, and that allowed the coverage team to uh, that allowed the coverage team to, to cover, uh, to get down, downfield to cover. And so Kool-Aid McKinstry was never able, never in a position to try to break one uh, break one uh, free. Uh, if I ran a Texas A&M podcast, and I'd probably call it Kip's Yellcast, whoop. And uh, if I ran that podcast and I would give Nick uh, Constantino uh, many game balls, offense and defense, uh, for his contribution – Saban talks about this a lot of times, 100 yards, however you get it, 100 yards typically leads to a touchdown. And the math is pretty sound there, uh, even though he's generalizing. And so Saban likes to get 10 yards average on punt returns. He essentially says that's giving your team a first down where you start the ball. Makes a lot of sense. Had on seven opportunities, McKinstry gotten that goal of 10 per, that's 70 yards. Last week, I know it's Arkansas, but it's a conference opponent trying really hard. It's a team that that beat the Aggies or should have beaten the Aggies a couple of weeks ago. Against Arkansas, McKinstry averaged 25 yards uh, per punt return, or almost 25. It was 24-something, so we're rounding up for math. But on seven attempts, that's 175 yards. So that's north of uh, the 100. If you just average those together – uh, that's 122 yards, so it's north of 120. There's a touchdown that happens somewhere in there. Some of these drives where Alabama stalled out and either punted, uh, some of these drives where there was a turnover, you have big punt returns and you have a shorter field. Hell, A&M showed what they could do with a short field. Alabama had success on long fields. Give Alabama some short fields. Uh, really allow sort of dialing up plays maybe that are more Milrow friendly. And uh, maybe there's some more scoring uh, opportunities that happen there. So everyone's going to talk about special teams, and they're going to limit the conversation to Will Riker. That's a very good conversation to have. And you can't have that conversation without getting mad at the, at the play call on third and two, okay? But there's a whole different conversation that needs to be had about special teams, and there's really not a lot that Alabama could have done differently. Uh, you just have to give have to give a tip of the cat cap uh, to Nick Constantino uh, for his sky kicks that allow the coverage team uh, to get downfield. Again, you give uh, McKinstry seven returns. Look at what he's done this season. We've all seen it. So, and he was really bottled up. And so, I think that limited what Alabama could do uh, in in some regards. All right. One last thought about this game before. We move on, uh, and we want to spend a minute uh, talking about next week's opponent. But take a deep breath and just remember, Alabama won this game. 
Alabama remains undefeated, uh, which is great. Uh, there were some good in this game. There were some bad in this game. There was a heck of a lot of nuance and sub subtext uh, in this game. But it's still a win. It's an SEC win. It's a conference win. It's an SEC West win. So it's a divisional win. So there's a lot of value sort of up and down the chain. I think Alabama learned a mighty lot in this game that will bode well for this season as well as future seasons. And uh, I, I say this to myself as much as to, to any of you out there, just take a moment and say, Alabama won the game. Alabama still won the game. So all of this conversation, all of this angst that we may feel, we're doing it against the backdrop of a W as opposed to an L. And I saw some fine philosopher uh, in some chat room uh, today make the comment that you never piss on a dub. And uh, I thought, well, that sounds good to me. I'll buy that. And he's right. Uh, or her, I don't know. All right, so let's flip the field, uh, or actually flip the calendar, and let's look at next week's opponent. Alabama travels to Knoxville to play a rising Tennessee. There have been quite a number of years where Tennessee has been terrible. There's been a number of years where Tennessee maybe looked like they were going to put something together, but they just weren't quite there. This looks like a Tennessee team that really has started to put some things together. This is a team built on belief, not a team that has that as we've seen in prior years, as we're saying, a team that's been built on hopes and prayers. Uh, we hope that we're going to have a good season. We pray that someone doesn't get hurt. Uh, if everything and the stars align and the planets and uh, and, and the fairy dust, then we might have a good season. Now, this is a team that's undefeated coming into coming into this game. There'll be all sorts of write-ups on when the last time these two teams have been undefeated, and I guarantee it's been quite a while. And uh, so this is a team operating not from hope but from belief. They went down to Baton Rouge and really laid it on uh, Brian Kelly's squad of Tigers last week. And so they're coming back home to Knoxville. They're having a homecoming of sorts, not literally their homecoming game. I don't think they would do that, but a homecoming of spirit, the volunteers are. And so this is going to be a loud, raucous stadium. The fans, as well as the players, are going to believe that they have an opportunity to win. Hell, this Tennessee team has a legit coach in Josh Heupel, uh, who's probably Oklahoma's next head coach. And they have a legit quarterback in Hendon Hooker, which I swear sounds like a regional chicken restaurant. Again, they rolled LSU last week in Baton Rouge, which is significant. For Alabama in this game, Alabama needs to put all the parts and pieces together, including including priority job one, a healthy Bryce Young. If there was thought that Bryce could have played last week but didn't, it was with an eye towards Bryce being healthy and ready to go against Tennessee. It's not officially announced. It probably won't be, but I'm going to tell you that's got to be. We've got to have Bryce. Alabama has to have Bryce Young for this game. I think Bryce is the key to putting it all together, all phases, the passing, the running, the offensive line play, the receivers popping, uh, as well as defense and special teams. I really believe that Bryce is the straw that stirs the drink uh, in a way that maybe I would not have fully believed that uh, a week ago. I think this is going to be, again, with Bryce in the game, an explosive game, a high-scoring game. I hate to say the score because 
I think our defense is stronger than this, but I think Tennessee is going to find opportunities to score uh, much like they did uh, in Tuscaloosa last year. I view this as a 48-45 to 45 style game, uh, primarily meaning I, I believe there's points scored, a lot of points scored, and that there's a shootout quality to this game. Now, hopefully it's not a three-point game uh, in the 40s. Uh, hopefully yeah, uh, the tide defense really sort of rallies up, makes a couple of turnovers, and uh, we can – make it a, a two-score game. But uh, I think that this is potentially tight. I think there's a lot of points scored. And I think the – I think it's going to be – this will, is going to be a long sort of painful week, I'll say, because there will not be a lot – I don't expect Saban to announce or declare that Bryce is ready. Uh, there will be a lot of subtle things. Who's practicing? He'll get mad at a reporter. He'll do something else. Uh, practice like insiders will, will post – what they're seeing or not seeing, but we may not know definitively that Bryce is going to go until we visualize warm-ups next Saturday in Knoxville. But my guess is Bryce will play. I think the initial betting line where Alabama is favored six or seven points, that strikes me as a big number, uh, but I think that number is uh, reflective of expectation that Bryce is playing, and it is going to be an old-school-style matchup with Tennessee and Alabama. Uh, both teams that are in the game undefeated, both teams with visions of uh, division and conference uh, championships. Uh, Alabama sort of has swum in those waters or played in that pool quite a while lately, and uh, Tennessee is proving themselves uh, or attempting to prove themselves capable and ready, uh, ready to play with that level of, of caliber uh, team as well. And Saturday against LSU, I think, went a long way uh, in their in their minds uh, in that direction. All right, I'm not trying to overhype the Tennessee team. I'm not a fan of Tennessee. I don't like their – it's Tennessee hate week, right? I think that's the team that sort of originated that. Uh, we got to get our videos out of uh, our Tennessee hate guy uh, filmed at the Ferguson Center. That's an annual favorite, so watch your Facebook, Facebooks for that. Uh, I'm sure that will be making the rounds. But again, I am predicting something of a shootout and a high-scoring one at that. All right, with this, let's wrap it up. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. We greatly appreciate it. Check us out on the Twitter machine and uh, check us out on the iTunes. Leave us a review. We really appreciate that. Drop us an email if there's any questions or sort of uh, discussion that we want to get into uh, at – what are we at? It's Alabama Football Podcast at gmail.com. And uh, we certainly appreciate the dialogue there. Go to your uh, uh, podcast sort of distributors and leave us a review. We love the five stars, uh, but we'll take authentic review. We so greatly appreciate it. And with that, this has been another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast, Roll Tide. Thanks for listening to the Alabama Football Podcast. We love that you're tuned in and hope that you enjoyed the show. We encourage you to reach out and let us know what you like, where we can improve, or just to shout out a roll tide. We are where you are. iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, email newsletters, T-shirts, free roster downloads, and of course, on the web at alabamafootballpodcast.com. Check us out where you'll find easy links to your favorite way to follow the tide. Got that, Coach? Of course. Roll Tide.